now that underground stuff never hits the top. So how do you deem what a classic is versus what what's a classic and the actual what like is the real culture and what is a classic considered what made it to the top thing? To me, they're not one and the same anymore. What's on the pop charts and what's actual hip hop has very little crossover anymore. So to me, it's it's almost non-existent. Like, like how, how do you deem, deem a classic? classic? Now, you know. The secrets of the rap game exposed. This is real rap. We got DJ Black listed in the building, ladies and gentlemen. Give it up. Give it up. This episode right here, I really like this episode because we talked about a whole lot of different stuff. Stuff. You know what I'm saying? We talked about how he grew up. Yes. We talked about the gateway drug. Is it producing? The DJing? Is it DJing to producing? But this show, I gotta admit, man. This is good. Just listen. And let's get it. I grew up, uh, you know, wasn't necessarily like the roughest neighborhood or anything, but I was like a poor kid and, you know, surrounded by people that, not necessarily, like there was a lot of other poor people around me, but, you know, it kind of made you feel isolated, like going to school. Like I didn't have, you know, the new Jordans every year and I didn't have that. I had like your shit from Payless and, you know, I got like ripped on about it and stuff like that. And it was like you... Just the economic aspect, I think, about it was that, you know, it, it it was like something you could do and it didn't take a lot of money. And, you know, it was actually about people going through that. So I think I always like related to that. So I, you know, I just kind of like gradually got pulled in through like DJing. And, um, you know, I used to do graffiti when I was younger as a teenager. Like it was a artistic outlet for me. Uh, you know, I started b-boying like late high school, early college. There was a whole crew of kids I got involved with that you know, kind of brought me into that. So um, it was just always something I felt like I could belong to and that, you know, no matter where I went and no matter what group of people I was around, like if there was people that were into hip hop, then it was like I had people that would understand what, what else I was into. So um, I think, you know, by the time, you know, I just kept going that I started DJing and I just kind of felt like you know it was became like so much of a lifestyle or a part of your life that it's almost like inseparable from what you do at that point it's you know it's something you like kind of almost like live like you know and I think the reason why I keep doing it and kind of stick to that older mindset is because you know you see what's going on a lot now with it being almost like taken over more and more by like corporate shit and you know and it just keeps you know what it's trying to present now i don't really like to me that's not what hip-hop was and i know it's that old curmudgeon thing where it was like well you just don't understand it's like it seemed like the continuity was the same from the time it came out from you go back to like cool herc and then you know sugar hill gang and grandmaster flash and after man body come out and it was almost like the timeline was almost the same until you get to like the late 90s and then you kind of see this weird why where you seem like what was still hip-hop culture and hip-hop still goes on today. There's still people out doing graffiti. There's still people, there's still b-boys out and they're more amazing than anything you've seen from like the 80s or wherever people pin it at, you know, but people don't associate that all together anymore as hip-hop. It became like a thing on the radio and it became like a brand and now like, you know, it's just how it, how it's been you know, taken over and it's not really, people don't see it as a culture anymore. It's like a type of music and it's a commodity that they can sell. And there's still people out there that are like living hip hop, like how it became, you know, as like a, a form of expression and, you know, things like that. Now, out of the uh, culture of hip hop and the elements, okay, you went down the path of the DJ. Yes. Okay, now a lot, you know, because we all know, like, the two popular aspects of hip-hop is the MC yeah. and the producer. Yes. Because, you know, I'm from that era where if you was a rapper and you did not have a DJ. Yeah. You was not legit. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, also, too, if you didn't have a DJ and dancers. Yeah, yeah. You was not legit. Yeah. And, you know, like, the whole DJ culture... um, since, in many ways, that was, like, my introduction to hip-hop. Yeah, yeah. In so many ways, like, the DJ. What made you become the DJ? And how, and where do you see the DJ at right now? Because I'm coming up with a show very soon. 
Okay. Or I'm throwing DJs under the bus real bad. Okay. <laughs> but not 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 you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know no. what type of DJ you are. No, right? exactly. You know, why a DJ? Um, I think I became a DJ out of like uh, just my love for music over a long period of time. Like, you know, like I've kind of really always centered around hip hop, but I've been into all kinds of different music the my whole time coming up. Like I used to go to punk rock and hardcore shows. Like I used to like, you know, listen to like my dad has a giant like classic rock collection. I listen to that. Um, you know, yeah. Um, going to like electronic shows and like old raves and stuff like that. Like I got into like electronic music. Like I still spin drum and bass to me. It's like a sister genre to hip hop, just how it's, you know, break beats. It's just faster, you know, a little bit different aesthetic, but you know, for me, it's, it's just music. So, you know, even DJing wasn't just about hip hop for me too, though. It was just about like my overall love for music, being able to like, project that out and you know give that back to the world because like as i used to always be the one out dancing and stuff like i said i used to be boy so it was almost like i would always go out to see the specific djs because i wanted to hear what they you know what their sets were because i knew that was something i wanted to go dance to you know and um you know it also came about because as i am a producer as well so um I started actually producing before I ever even started DJing. So um, it became a way to outlet uh, my music as well if I wanted to put it out or, you know, and then even getting into like a hip hop group, like I started off more just producing, but then I was DJing with them as well. So that became my role because I'm honestly like you're asking me like the two that were like the beat makers and the MCs like. I'm just not cut out to be an MC. Like I know this. Like I don't I don't think I have that whatever have that stage presence. Like I can hide behind my turntables. Like I can speak with my hands. I don't even like getting on a microphone like at a show or you know, like I'm not the type who's doing like the the backup vocals and shit. Like I don't ever hook up a mic. Like it's just not something I'm I'm cut out to do. So um you know, I have a lot of ideas. I, I you know, sometimes I wish I was more uh prolific with like writing lyrics and things like that it's just not not what i'm good at so you know I'm, i am comfortable behind the turntables i am comfortable with that and you know and you know i think sometimes maybe people try to do too much and they water something down so yeah i could have tried to rap and stuff but if i try to rap then i'm gonna be djing and producing and trying to rap and it's just like something's gonna suffer so I got people that can MC. There's plenty of MCs out there, so you know. Because yeah. um, you just mentioned that you started as a producer. Yeah. Then DJ. Yeah. Because normally how it goes is DJ then producer. Yeah. Because a lot of people really don't understand, like, and a friend of mine told me this a long time ago, that the greatest producers in hip hop were DJs. Yeah. You know, because uh, a lot of people don't know Dr. Dre was a yeah yeah DJ. DJ. He started off as a DJ. Yeah. You know, Primo, DJ, yeah. Pete Rock, D, the list goes on yeah. and on and on and on. So, from producing, how was that transition from being a producer to a DJ? Um, it it was very natural because you know, like you, you when you become a producer, you're still listening, and you know, I still always had that love for music, you know, so it was kind of like. When I went into producing, I was still trying to emulate what I was hearing. You know what I mean? Like, so, you know, someone set me down in front of, like, my uh, my one friend, Jared, who I met, like, I was only, like, 17, and he was one of my older friends who had, like, a, he had a Roland MC-505, and he had an Insonic keyboard, and you could, you know, so... It wasn't even like I had DJs in my circle back then. Like, I had people who wrote beats, I just didn't, I didn't know any DJs. Mm. So that's what I was set down in front. So that was my first influence. So I was trying to emulate what I was hearing. So in a roundabout way, like I was probably learning how to write drum breaks that I didn't realize were drum breaks. So I didn't understand necessarily how it was being made. So, you know, you would hear a drum break like in a track. So I was trying to learn how to mimic that drum break with a drum machine. Um, so I don't really think it was too hard to go into DJing cause I already, by that point you understood like structure and music, like phrasing and, you know, build breaks, you know, uh, how many bars an MC is going to go, how many bars the hook's going to go. So you kind of learn that already. 
Um, I think, you know, what you were saying earlier where the, you know, the best producers always become, you know, the best come from DJs. But I think the best producers are the ones who have a broad knowledge of music and a DJ by nature is always going to have a broad, you know, at least a true DJ that's, you know, listening to tons and tons of music, like not a one trick pony DJ, but someone who can like, you tell them to spin this, they can spin this. They can spin, it's because they understand music. So I think when you go from, you've had all that musical influence. So to go from being a DJ to a producer, you have that musical knowledge. But I think if you start as a producer and you go into DJing, like DJing feels almost like a subset of producing at times. You know, there's a lot of crossover, especially when you get into sample based, you know, production and beat making. There's so much crossover between, you know, DJing and just doing production. Yeah, because you know, uh, you start crossing over and you're using like those bra- those breaks. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know those records. Because even when I produce, um, every once in a while, like like when I produce, I don't like to distort. Well, sometimes I don't like to distort the sample. Okay. You know, sometimes I want to keep the integrity of the sample because of something I like. Now, don't get it twisted. I will chop it up, change the pitch, and you don't know what the fuck I did. Yeah, yeah. You know, but even with that. You know, it's, you know, how you can, like, play the original and then your track and blend it in, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, sit, I know exactly I, what yeah, you're talking about. You know, yeah. I sit and play with it. You yeah. Know? So, well, let me ask you this. Okay, because today's DJ, I don't like today's DJ. Yeah. Okay, because to me, now, if I'm wrong, let me know. Okay. Today's DJ is very one-trick pony. Yes. Okay, they don't know how to move a crowd. No. They don't know how to mix up different eras. Agreed. Okay, because you only get one era. Yeah. You know, they don't en- encompass hip-hop. And also, too, they have a tendency not to play local artists. Yeah. Now, am I wrong for saying that? No, I don't I don't think so. Um, I think there there's even a conflict with DJs and, um, how do I put it, like, to be a commodity, like, or to have someone even... Because you, you always have the thing. You have people that, like, DJ. Some people DJ because they love it. Some people DJ purely to make money. Some people, it's a combination of the two. Um, and it's almost like what motivates the DJ. And it, there there's a big disconnect right now because, like, with, even with the crowds, like, you don't know what you're going to get with the crowd anymore. So I, I like... I'm not going to go there and start spinning top 40 and stuff, but I can see even where, like, I don't support when other DJs go and start doing it, but at the same time, like, sometimes that's all the people come up and ask you for. Like, you're trying to play a a gig, and you have, like, if they're not educated on music at all, and and I'm not saying there aren't those crowds out there, but, like, you know, to have a big venue, like, going off, like, and convince a venue owner to let you go there, it's, it's, it's difficult. You know, so I think sometimes they, you get these DJs that do it and they do it purely out of necessity. Mm-hmm. Like I know a lot of DJs who were at heart and genuinely badass DJs and do a lot of crazy shit. Unfortunately, like no one wants to pay them to do it. And some of them that they used to support themselves on it. And now it's like a no go, you know, at the same time. Yeah, I think there's a lot of essential skills being lost on a lot of younger DJs coming in because they don't the bar isn't set very high for them anymore. Like, you know, there's not, there's not this spirit of competition anymore. It's like not, you know, well, if you're talking shit, you know, we'll battle and we'll figure it out, you know, or, you know, anything like that. It's like, you know, but it's like, why have a gig at blah, blah, blah club every Saturday night and I make $300 and I don't really care if I'm even good or get criticized because I'm getting paid. My software is doing half the work for me you know, half of these, like, a lot of these guys, they basically just have to stay on top of the top 40 charts, Have make sure they have the playlist that was handed to them by the venue owner, and press buttons all night, and, you know, shake their hand up in the air, and, like, yeah, look, I'm actually doing something, like, you know, that's, you know, there's not much difference between that type of DJ and the Mega Touch, you know, jukebox at that point, so... But there seems to be this feed on, like, this loop that is happening where it's, like, the crowds aren't being educated. 
and the DJs aren't educated and it's just like feeding into itself. So sometimes when you place an uneducated crowd in front of an educated DJ, like, you know, like it just gets, it gets, uh, gets complicated. It gets frustrating. Sometimes you try to give an education to the crowd and they're like not having it (laughs) or, you know, and other times though, I mean, you will get a crowd and they come up and they really appreciate it and you'll play stuff to like come up. I haven't heard that in years. And you know, you mix all the eras together, you know, and that's what I usually try to do is, you know, give people something from this era or something from this era. Because that's almost what I was saying about the whole continuous line of hip-hop. It seems like it all worked together for a really long time until you get into the recent era, and it's like then it's, there's like a change. It's It's become so blended with pop music that, like, you know, you got, like, Iggy Azalea jumping in in the middle of, like, you know a choir boy song or something at this point like it's just so misplaced at times like where people land it's like it's just the same 10 artists doing guest spots like but but you know but here's the funny thing right even you know because i've been to many shows where like a dj would play say like uh some 90s hip-hop yeah bring something in from the 80s yeah and that shit worked yeah exactly so i I see where you're coming from because like when i um that fancy song by iggy I've heard it. To me, personally, it reminds me of something from the 80s. Yeah. You know, the simple little bit. I mean, that's straight fucking 1984. Yeah, yeah. 84, 85, 86, somewhere in there, you know. But I understand what you're saying, you know, because it is, when you just listen to music today, it's very homogenized. Yeah. You know, it, it nothing stands out. In, no, it's just, it's like just a... It's this blended sound of just like, I don't know what the, it's like, yeah, it's so homogenized. It's a puree of everything that was popular. Like, it's like, we let's take every little catchy hook element out of everything from like pop and R&B and hip hop and rock and we'll just, we'll throw it all in a blender and we'll just mix it all together. And like, even country, man, like it's, it's gotten so terrible, like. You know, it's. I think they're all using, like, the same chords and the same progressions, and it's, like, you can seriously, like, just overlap them. Like, probably as a DJ, like, you could probably go into Ableton and just make this hour-long, monotonous drone mega mix of everything that's, like, popular right now. You know, country had soul, it had its own sound, and I remember when Taylor Swift first came out, everybody was screaming about this Taylor Swift chick. Yeah, yeah. I listened to her, I thought she was pop. Yeah. This is country. I'm like, get the fuck out. This is not country. Exactly, yeah. It was... You know, even, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, cause he's, he's big right now. Oh, I forgot his name. Kenny, Kenny Chesney. Yeah. No, that's pop. No, it's all pop. I mean, cause there's no, there's what, no, what like... country overtone to it, you know? I mean, that's, that's the way, I mean, the same thing, that's kind of what happened with hip-hop. That's what happened almost everything, though. I mean, everything, like, once it gets into this, this mainstream level, like, to a certain point, and it gets so, like, taken up by, like, you know, I don't know how to put it, you know, all the record companies, the corporations, the man, whatever you want to put it, like, once it gets pulled into that, it's like, you know, you have, like, these masses of, like, research groups behind it doing, like, marketing research on, like, what chords are the most catchy and how are we going to market this to people? With no, It's no longer, like an accurate like uh expression of any human emotion at that point it's like it's like a, it becomes like almost like a mathematic formula an algorithm almost that they know it's like gonna succeed because okay we know like things that are in this chord you know generally give people feelings of happiness and blah 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 you know it's all like formulaic so they they grab a little bit of this a little bit of that a little bit of this and they just like polish it out, launch it out, everyone eats the shit out of it for, like, three months straight, and then the, like, it's almost like there's no classics born anymore, it seems like almost anything's gonna be forgotten, like, three months down the road, you know? Okay, since you brought that up, classics, off the top of your head, what was the last hip-hop classic song? I'm not even gonna say album, just song. Um, I don't know, because, I mean, there's, there's things that I'd say, like, things have become classics to me almost you know what i mean like in albums and things like that like you know i'd say like uh 
I'd say the the newer Run the Jewels album that came out it was going to be a classic album, which was like LP and Killer Mike. Mm-hmm. And um, but I mean, I think what the weird thing about what people call a classic or anything like that is it's almost like I said, where you've had this this separation between what it is and what is like everyone's talking about okay there's been no platinum records this year blah 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 it's like Taylor well Swift. yeah She's okay the only one. okay and it's like <laughs> but look how music is digested now like people don't go out and buy an album anymore they go and download the single off of itunes and they listen to it like i said and they play it every day 30 times a day for three months and then they forget about it it's like throwaway you know so I mean, I think there have probably been a lot of albums, like, in the underground that are classic to hip-hop heads, you know? But since it's been separated so much, it's hard to deem what is a classic, because I think there's been, like, it's been, hip-hop's been, like, stratified in these small little dips, you know what I mean? Like, you have, like, one group that's really into, like, these couple labels, and you have one group that's all into these little, this little label, and, you know, the people that are, and then you have some people that watch the mainstream line, where they're, they still have the classics in their recent memory, like, you know, Wu-Tang's 36 Chambers, or, you know, like, Dr. Dre, or any of those, like, you know, they have those classics in their mind, but they kept following the mainstream narrative, because they, they're used to be the same, you know, you say, or you at least had, things that came from the underground that kind of got mainstream notoriety, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, things that you would have thought, like, say, Wu-Tang or, you know, Gangstar or something that always had an underground feel or KRS-One, like, it always had an underground feel and it never lost its legitimacy in the underground, but at the same time, certain songs and things made it to the mainstream and everybody heard it. So, but that doesn't happen anymore, so... You don't have those classics mean it. You don't have like, you know, you don't have biggies anymore making it from like the underground to, you know, top 40 rotation. That's just not happening anymore. So it's hard to deem a classic because you used to be able to deem a classic being like, okay, you know, like, you know, like uh, any of the shit that used to make, like step into a world from like KRS, like, you know, that got all kinds of radio airplay. So it's not it's not hard to say that that is a classic. It was, it was popular in the underground as far as it was popular. Like it actually hit mainstream airwaves in some areas, you know, but now that underground stuff never hits the top. So how do you deem what a classic is versus what, what's a classic and the actual, what like is the real culture and what is a classic considered what made it to the top thing. To me, they're not one and the same anymore. What's on the pop charts and what's actual hip hop has very little crossover anymore. So to me, it's it's almost non-existent. Like, how do you deem a classic now, you know? Yeah, because um, even, even with uh, the underground, because, you know, I always tell people, people always complain, hip-hop sucks, hip-hop sucks. I'm yeah. Look. One, you're looking in the wrong spot. Exactly, exactly. It's on the internet. Exactly. Okay, I mean, I can go on the internet and play a game. Like, let me find some new guy this week, and I find one. Yeah. Okay, who's good? Yeah. But like you said, you know, there's not that underground that goes over. Yeah. You know, and even with the underground, there's so many subgenres. Yeah. You know, and everybody's doing everything all at once. You know, you can go on YouTube, you find a whole bunch of cats, you know. Um it's it's very as you said, there there is a wide chasm yeah. between, you know, the split. So the split, what do you think the split happened in hip hop? When do I think it happened, or yeah. how, or when? When, um, I mean, you've you've always obviously had, you've had like that root of like under hip hop. What I consider now, I think it's a majority of it's underground now. But uh, but you've always had those offshoots that kind of went mainstream and really poppy and were kind of like obnoxious and eventually went away on their own. But at a point they found the formula and they didn't go away anymore. And I think that was kind of how it happened. And I say that because like you had like kind of that first iteration, like, like the eighties for the most part was very, you know, like it was mainly stuff that the underground and what was on top seemed very much one of the same, you know, you had like run DMC and, you know, NWA and, um, 
you know, Bismarcky, you know, stuff like that. And it, it was one unified thing. And I think, but you started having offshoots even early then. Like you saw like Vanilla Ice come, you know, he was, he was like a, a manufactured pop act. You know, you kind of had like MC Hammer, you know, which was kind of a lot more poppy. You know what I mean? Like, and but even with Hammer though. He was, he was still an honest artist, I would say. You know what I mean? But I'm saying like, as far as the uber flashy appearance like that more like very show busy type element you know but even with hammer and i remember when hammer came out and uh he got shredded but now what 20 years later we can you know objectively look at this dude yeah like yeah you could say he him and vanilla ice were like the forefathers of this mega yeah but even with hammer he had the elements of hip hop. No, he did, and 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 to even both their credit, like I mean, not to give Vanilla is really any credit, but they still weren't putting as dumb of a message forth. Like I mean, Vanilla Ice was like you know kind of cheesy as shit. You know, like you had like these like corny love songs, and you had like kind of really corny braggadocio ones he was trying to do. But the one thing I would say, even with like hammers. Hammer still had on top uh, a positive message. He was still about like uplifting, and you know what I mean. And, and I'm not saying that hip hop has to be about that, but it wasn't this one thing. Yeah, yeah. It was. It wasn't. You know what? You know what I see is I think where the big major split started to happen. I think was like probably late '90s is like really when it started hitting home, hitting home in my eyes because that's when like. You had the emergence of, like... And I know some people look back at it as nostalgia, but I remember looking back at it in horror even then was, like, the emergence of, like, Cash Money, you know, Master P, you know, um, that kind of stuff. Jay-Z. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, after the death of uh, Pac and Big. Yeah, and that, that was that's what I was kind of getting my other one. I think, like, uh, Puff Daddy helped usher this in. I think he's extremely... P. Diddy, I think he's extremely responsible for a lot of the bullshit as well. Because he kind of started that whole... He helped that, like... His stuff just got... I mean, you had, like, you know, the people that were getting starting getting signed to Bad Boy. And it was just getting, like... You know, you had, like, them doing, like, Rugrat soundtracks and shit. I mean, it was just getting really corny towards the end. Like, and you had, like, kind of real... When you had, like, Biggie and them, like... And even, like, uh... You know, it was a lot more gritty and seemed a lot more, like, real, I guess. And once, you know, I don't know, whatever, like, Puffy and Mace did, it was just, it just started getting ridiculous. Like, you know, it became, like, look how flashy it is, look how much money I have. You know, that's almost when you really started getting into more and more, like, bragging about, like, being the entrepreneur stuff. And that, like, I don't even like that whole, like, um, how do I put it? that whole narrative within hip-hop now, too, like, what you have, like, Jay-Z doing and Kanye and stuff like that, it's almost like these people have, like, gotten so larger in life that they've completely lost complete connection with anything that people actually relate to anymore. Like, that's why they just, like, get so weird now, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, money will make you weird, but, yeah, yeah. you know, because, like, that whole P. Diddy era, you know, because when you take... Jay-Z, Diddy, P, uh, Master P, yeah. and Cash Money. Yeah. You know, that that's when it, you know. Yeah, it was like, it was a log on the train tracks of hip-hop that, like, derailed this shit, at least, at least as far as what, because that's almost when you started having, like, the really negative image start to take over as far as, like, how hip-hop was portrayed, like, in the media and stuff. That's when it, like, really solidified as like you know almost like the whole persona that like everyone in hip-hop is like a drug dealer you know a thug or this and that and that's when it became and it's you know that's when it really seemed to get tinged at least in the mainstream I like to be really negative I mean you you had some of that creep in during like the whole gangster rap era but at least they they were like they had political they, commentary. Yeah, they did. They, had they did. Very strong exactly. political commentary. Yeah. Because when you go back and listen to like Ice Cube's first couple albums, right, he hated George Bush. Yeah. Daddy Bush. Yeah. You know, it was very political. 
Yeah, it was like... It was gangster, but it was NWA the same way. It, it came off as more like, to me, I mean, NWA is still like one of my favorites. Like them and like Public Enemy. And it was because like it was, you know, I mean, obviously like Public Enemy wasn't gangster, but it was militant, you know. So yeah, it seemed very threatening, but they were fighting for something. And I even felt like that with like, you know, NWA, what they were doing, they were actually telling you what life was like on the ground for them. And it was, it was an accurate portrayal. And, you know, whereas I think even a lot of the stuff that makes it on to the mainstream now, and even, like I said, like what you had with like cash money and stuff like that. And it was almost like so over the top, like a a gold plated tank. And like, you know, it was like just, it almost became like the values. Like they weren't fighting for anything other than look how fucking rich we are. Look what we have. We're great. We're doing, you know, it's just, it just becomes like, it, it turns into like, you know, fighting for something and like, you know, you're going through a certain uh, set of circumstances in your life. And that's where your influence comes to. Like, I mean, these guys are basically like fapping to the reflection in the mirror. Like, you know, it's just this very vain, um, materialistic, you know, way of looking at things. And I just don't like how that, that's like really how it's perceived in the mainstream media now. It's like, and that's like the image that people like in the suburbs get of like people in the city and shit like that. You know what I mean? It's like the, the misperceptions that get put out there. You know what I mean? It's not an accurate window anymore. You know, you got like kids driving around and they're like, you know, their mom's, like, Escalade, like, living out in the middle of, like, the suburbs, like, you know, singing Bobby Shmurda and, like, have no idea, like, you know, like, of anything, like, like, you know, if they were in any situation close to anything to listen, they'd be shitting their pants, you know? I don't, because you know what, I'm gonna say, like, to me, like, the, when the split really, really happened, and truthfully, the last, as we probably could say hip-hop classic album was get rich or die trying that was yeah. 2001 yeah yeah because that's when it just yeah it's like that's when uh, when i really that's when it split yeah it's when it really like you know you almost had that that first few fractures in the late 90s and i mean you had other factors too i think that helped is like even the the alternatives like you had like raucous fell apart you know so you didn't have that really kept i mean look how many people that made it to the mainstream at least like you know got exposure and got out there because there was a strong underground like label like that for so long i mean i think that's even too you don't have these like strong underground labels like you used to have you know what i mean like raucous like how many people they like they launched most death they launched pharaoh Monch, like you know they had you know releases with common on it you know like they company flow which later like lp came out of and company flow is highly underrated yeah highly yeah um you know and like you know eminem was on like the sound bombing you know and everybody forgets that yeah yeah you know you had like cage you know you had like so many people that you know cage wasn't on but he was on like other crossover artists and stuff like that and you had a lot of this like crossover in the underground where people were on and it's like that you don't really have that many strong underground labels anymore. Like you have like stones throw that's still around and you have like nature sounds and you know, you have fool's gold gold kind of emerging and stuff like that. But I, you know, you kind of had something like that when deaf jokes was around, but then that went away. So, you know, you don't have these, these strong, you know, like we were saying, like, you don't have one centralized strong underground anymore. Like, a main entryway or even back towards the late nineties, you still had things like scribble jam going on and things where like everyone from different cities came together. And now it's, you know, this camp here, this camp there, you know, yeah, it's spread out. Um, it's very fractured. Let me, let me ask you this as a DJ. All right. What are some of the down, the downside to being a DJ? Cause you know, there's the good side. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah. But what is that stuff that makes you really seriously think, like, I could do something fucking else with my life? <laughs> Why the fuck am I still doing this shit? Um, it's, it can be sometimes, like, you know, especially when you're not doing, like, regular, like, say, top 40 gigs or something, like, you know, 
you're almost like always bringing your own equipment and stuff like that. Not a lot of like the places, type of place that I would play and get to play what I want to play, you know, so have a whole setup themselves. So you're kind of always bringing, lugging all the equipment there, lugging it back. Like you're always the first person to show up to a hip hop show to set up and you're the last dude leaving and everyone's out like socializing and you're like tearing your equipment about like, man, these MCs, I don't have to do anything. They don't even got to bring a microphone half the time, you know? So, um, that kind of sucks. Uh, the weird reaction people get when they come up, like, say, in my regular Friday night gig, and people will come up and they'll request something and it's completely out of the spectrum of what's played. So it's not even something I'm going to have. But people get so offended, like, you just kick their kitten, like, like they like people come up and ask you for something like i had a girl ask me to play fallout boy one time in the middle of like a hip-hop set and i just kind of looked at her and i'm like i'm sorry i don't have that and they like they look at you with such malice like you just tried to ruin their day or that you just told them like you have the worst taste in music ever which might be what i'm thinking but it's not necessarily like i'm not saying that and i'm trying to be polite but they look at you like i'm gonna kill you in the parking lot like it's it's weird like people are so savage when you're like a dj and like they ask you for something and they don't get what they want mm. so um you know i'd say the other thing even to within hip-hop is like there's a very diminished role as far as like a dj within hip-hop you know what i mean because like the the mcs have taken so much center stage it's like in a lot of the older MCs, they they understand the value of the DJ, but a lot of the newer cats, like they come up and like, I'll be running like the program for someone for a hip hop show, and like these like kids are like they'll be like you know this is like their first or second show, and they like you know give you their tracks on a CD, and they act like like you're their bitch for the evening or something. You gotta like set them straight because they come up to you like yo you play five play wait wait wait, hold up hold up and you're like dude (laughs) like you need to settle the fuck down this isn't my first rodeo but if you keep acting like this it might be your last so just like don't be a prima donna like you know like the dj's trying to help you man like try to get your stuff going and you know or they'll they'll try to like pass something off when they screw up and they'll kind of look at you like same with the sound man like everyone when you're the dj you're the uh you're the center focus of the sound. So, like, people will be looking up and, like, telling you to turn the mics up, and you're like, I don't even have control of the microphones. That's the guy in the sound booth in, in the back. And they're looking at you, like, grimacing at you, and shit, like, why are you doing this to my set? And you're like, I'm not doing anything. It's the sound guy. Throw shit at him. Like, Yeah, a lot of people don't know it's the sound guy. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, sometimes you have control as the DJ, like, if you're setting your whole thing up or if they're running their mic through your dj mixer which isn't a good way to go if you're actually having mc that's all right if you're like making announcements and shit you know but but yeah they don't they don't understand what you have or you know or when the the sound spikes when they turn on the system like you know i didn't know that their board wasn't turned down or like my mine was turned down to like you know plus two on the master volume and then when they turn their thing their their systems up to like 11 you know so because you brought up a point like uh, there's a disconnect between the MC and the DJ. Yeah. Now, uh, when I used to rap, I noticed like it was hard to get a DJ. Yeah. Very, very hard to get a DJ. And uh, when I wanted a DJ, now I just didn't come with this, yeah, be my DJ. Uh, uh, you know, I have nothing. I was yeah, yeah. With actual cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know, like, at times, I, I I feel like the DJ, there was a time where the DJ became too big for his britches. You know, that, mm-hmm. um, say, like, during the Clue era. Clue, yeah, yeah. Clue, you know, where the DJ just became, like, larger than... Yeah, like, yeah, I know what you're saying. Okay, and then, you know, you try to work with these guys, and it was just like, fuck, no, I'm DJ such and such, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and I feel like, because... You know, as a rapper, I can understand the disconnect because yeah. the the where do you find the DJ? Yeah. You know, to really bring that element of hip hop that I personally feel that any artist needs. 
Yeah. If you're on stage rapping, you need a DJ. You know, and I and I really feel like somewhere in this mix, it fell off, and I don't know when. I, I'll you know I'll just say like during the Clue era. Yeah. So you know, yeah, you got. I've never been one of those types of DJs either. That's like trying to, you know, constantly drop like have drops all through mixes and things like that. Like I don't I don't have like a thing where you have like, you know, an air horn going DJ blacklisted. Like I don't do that shit. You know what I mean? And it's I think yeah I could see definitely see where there's a disconnect. And I've I've seen that where. That's actually why I end up DJing for a lot of different MCs is because when they do get a DJ, the DJ doesn't know when to step back either. And the, the, I've, I've noticed that's a problem with MCs when they do get a DJ who is a good DJ, knows what they're doing, but as far as in the, isn't really versed in the DJ MC relationship. And, and that's an important thing that people don't get. And I think that's a whole element that's been lost in hip hop completely and I think I'm fortunate in my group, you know, in like four to five phonetics and even with other guys on my label that like they're we've built that relationship. So like, you know, there's there's things you don't do as a DJ that like some of them don't get that they ended up doing. Like you don't you don't scratch in the middle of someone's verse. Like that's a, that's a no no. Like that's a you know, clear that's rule one. Like, you know, and you got sometimes when they bring in these other DJs that you know, are good DJs and actually do know how to, like, cut and scratch, they don't know when to not cut and scratch. So, like, someone will be, you know, they'll be in the middle of their verse, and it's, like, the most prolific line in the track, and the person in the back are cutting up all over it, and, you know, I I can see where that gets annoying. Um, But I think with where it is, like, now is... Yeah, there's you have you have basically DJs that don't really know what they're doing. You have MCs that don't know what they're doing. Know what they're doing either. I mean, you have so much. Uh, like I'm basically gonna start enforcing a rule for myself that like if if it's someone that gives me their beats to play, and they have their own vocal tracks on the beats, like I'm not gonna play them anymore. Like, cause it's getting to the point like these MCs like don't know how to prepare their files. They don't know how to get actual like original beats like they don't know even know where to obtain high quality beats or anything like they'll come up with a bunch of shit they ripped off of youtube record their vocals over it so you're, you're already starting off with like this poor audio quality track you know you have that and then they record their vocals over top of it and then they hand it to you and you're like playing it and you're like mortified because you're doing like a show for someone and like you're like, I really hope they don't think this is, like, how I run my levels or anything like that. And it's like, they're almost, like, lip-syncing. I mean, they're actually saying their stuff, but it's like, in case they drop their vocals out and they can't finish their verse, like, they have that backing or remind them where they're at, and it's like a crutch. So it's like, it's it's become like, we always joke about it, we call it hip-hop karaoke. And it's like, because these, these cats come out now and it's like a big karaoke session. Like, their shit's recorded. They're using, like, the same track to play at a show that they put on their mixtape. Well, well, one, you know, hip-hop, the way that you had to learn hip-hop was you had to go out and be a part of it. Yeah. And nowadays, no one, they do it, but they're not a part of hip-hop. I agree. You know, because yeah. um, uh, I did an episode talking about, you know, putting together your show disc. Yeah. Okay. And you know, one of the things, like, uh, like if you have multiple personality disorder. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, so you kind of need that. And, you know, if you don't have another aspect of hip hop, which is dying on stage, the hype man. Yeah. Okay. Um. But this, this, and and the funny thing that kills me is like when you listen to like their rhyme structure, it's nothing complex. You know, yeah, no. It's very simplistic, and they have this audio track. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't and get the it. The beat is not complex mm. either. You know, where you like rapping at like one thirty. It's it's almost like chanting anymore. That's I always joke about it. Like a lot of the, I think a lot of the newer stuff that it's, it's almost like, just the hook over and over again, and like like the, the actual verses are the shortest part, and like the whole song just sounds like, 
-hmm. like someone's chanting the same thing like over and over again and you know yeah there's there's a big complexity in the music that's been lost and i agree with that too and you know you almost had more people especially in the sampling when sampling was really prevalent you know as far as like going through old records it's like people were almost getting a a round roundabout way of getting just educated in music because like they weren't necessarily going and learning getting classically trained but they were listening to music that was written by people who were classically trained and you know you get you know or you'd hear like old soul music and you hear like old jazz and like freeform jazz and you know so you'd almost pick up a little bit of musical complexity in the process because of what you were listening to like you understood like okay this sounds really simple and I don't even know if these like the younger kids even can hear how simplistic it is because that's what's been put out there for so long that I think it's almost become, they're not going through records anymore for samples. They're grabbing poorly recorded beats off uh, YouTube. That's their digging. It's like, I'm going to use like an audio downloader program to get this at 128K and, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to record over top of it and it's going to sound terrible and, I'm going to put it on a mixtape and release it and then get mad that I don't have, I'm not getting signed in like three months after putting a rehash beat on YouTube. It's just like, it doesn't work. But here's the funny thing though. Instead of doing all that, that you can go on like a SoundClick, SoundCloud, all, yeah, these, yeah. all these sites and you can find producers who give away good quality free fucking beats. Yeah. Okay. But they go to YouTube at that 128. You know, but you know what? I've noticed this too. Like the, the artists that do that when they pick those beats out, as you said, yeah, they don't yeah. have no musical complexity. Because when you listen to these tracks and the construction of it, it's just like, um, it's what um, some sort of ambient music in the back. Uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like million million <laughs> hi hats per second. You know. <laughs> Maybe a sound effect yeah. here and there, and they really think. That's the shit. And yeah. it's like, you know, no, because, um, you know, listen to the sampler that you gave me, you know, I hear the complexity in, you know, your group. Yeah. The label, what you guys are doing. Yeah. You know, and I know, like, those beats would kill these little rappers nowadays. They would just be like, yeah, yeah. The fuck is this shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's just like, I don't know. I mean, but as far as, like, the DJ goes, uh, you know, like I said, I really feel like. Because the DJ, that's where you got the new shit from. You know, the DJ yeah, at one yeah. time in hip-hop was... Actually, truth be told, um, the DJ is the father and the turntables is the mother of hip-hop. Because yeah. without the DJ, we, would, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, the, the beats never would have got... Became beats. What we know is beats you know, came out of, like, extending the brakes, you know, so... But, but, you know, what happened? I mean, is the DJ dead? the DJ still alive? Is... I think the DJ is very much alive. I just think it's... It's... I don't know how to put it. Um, I think it's still alive even in hip-hop. I just think we're in, like, a dark time. Like, I think... Like, any anything, like, we're, like, it's, like, Star Wars before the Rebel Alliance, like, comes out and, you know, takes down the evil empire. Like, I don't think... There is always cycles in music. And, um... And I can just say, like, from performing with, like, my group at times, like, the crowd appreciates and wants the DJ there. Like, it's, it adds a whole other element to the performance. You know what I mean? When they actually see someone, especially someone walk up with a set of turntables, like, you see the look on these kids' faces. It's like you put out, like, an extinct animal. Like, they just, they just saw, like, a mastodon for the first time. Like, it's like, oh my god, they actually exist, you know? Like, and it, it's a good feeling, you know? Like, and when you're actually, like, you know, putting on a good show for, like, you know, the younger kids are, like, they're really into it. So I think, like, we might be on one of those things where we've almost, like, you had things that come in cycles. I mean, if you look at, like, rock music, okay, like, you had, you know, the original stuff that came out, you know, like, the, uh, 
you know, like, Chuck Berry and all that stuff, and then you had, like, all the emulation of all that stuff by, like, Elvis and all the people that became popular, but there's been, as long as that genre's been around, it's gone through its peaks and valleys, you know what I mean? Like, you've had where stuff got real cheesy in the 80s, and you had, like, hair metal and stuff, and then you had a whole generation raised on that, and that's all they knew, and then suddenly it broke because people were sick of that, and you had, like, Nirvana come out, and that was, like, this big refreshing breath for everyone was like oh my god real music still exists you know and then it got cheesy it's you know it goes through cycles it got cheesy and cheesy and cheesy again and you got up to like nickelback and creed and stuff like that and I then, actually like creed though. okay here's, i like creed. But, but but when you compare creed to what came before it like, yeah and then like you know then you had that break you had like a lot of indie rock stuff come out like modest mouse and things like that and i think hip-hop as long as it's been around it's gonna go through those cycles too and i think we're at the end of one of those real we're we're in the hair metal stage and hip-hop you know yeah. you or even like you can look at the way things how excessive things got in the 70s you know what i mean you just have these eras of and i think we're ending an era of excess and you know especially the way things everything seems to come back at some point so i mean i don't know if like obviously there's a certain aspect of the dj that you know, you don't necessarily, with all the technology out, like, it's not as needed like it was where you need him to be the one who, you know, like, um, actually beat juggles to extend the break for people to dance to. Like, you know, productions move past that, like, even DJing. You know, you can still beat juggle for a show, you know what I mean, is, like, a trick, but as far as a functional aspect, like, you know, they don't need that anymore. So you're kind of, like... But as far as, like, turntablism, as far as scratching in the background, like, people still want to hear that in the music. And it's, like, people still want to see things being done on stage while the MCs are up there and they want to banter. And then you also have the whole aspect of the DJ now and you have the mixture with, um, as a producer, too, where you have the things where things are integrating with, like, programs like Ableton Live and people are using them in tandem with their DJ setups now, or like Tractor and Complete. Like if you watch DJ Craze now, he has a machine set up with his DJ thing. So he's doing scratches, but he's also triggering samples, playing beats live, you know what I mean? Uh, so, you know, it's pretty much endless. Like the way I see the DJ now is a person who's essentially controlling the music, whether they're doing live beat production, whether they're doing just, like, DJing and sampling, you know, and scratching and things like that. So, you know, I, I think we're coming to, you know, maybe another turning point, at least I'm hoping, <laughs> that, you know, people were pretty much sick of the cheesy shit and it's going to cycle back through. But obviously that's never guaranteed. Well, let me ask you this. Now, I notice a lot of DJs do not carry vinyl anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is, uh, now explain this process. Um, basically, your uh, your turntables are basically midied to your laptop, yes. right? Yeah. Now let me ask you this. On, okay. On, okay. Now we can go and discuss this audio file shit about which one sounds better. Yeah, yeah. All right, we can have that argument. But let me ask you this: Which one is more easier to pick up and go? <laughs> the um, with the crates, the good old crate. Because yeah, I yeah. used to live a crate now. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, they all—they both have their their pluses and minuses. Like, um, it's it's easier as far as like if you need to have as much music as possible on hand for something, and it's it is easier as far as to have the digital setup, like using Serato and stuff. But at the same time, everyone talks about the crates, but two turntables in two cases aren't or still aren't light when you're using Serato with them, so. You know, those turntables still weigh a ton. The mixer, you know, you still have that. Plus, you have to carry a, a computer, your Serato box with you, all the cables. And it's a giant pain in the ass sometimes to set up at the beginning of the night. Or if you're trying to set up while other people are set up as well. Because there's, there's been a really weird transformation within DJing right now. Because you have... It used to be one standard, you know. You had... As long as you had, like, two good turntables, preferably two techniques, and a half-decent mixer, anyone could play. And now it's, like, everyone shows up with, like, something completely different. Like, this DJ has, you know, two turntables running Serato. This one has Tractor. 
This one's using Virtual DJ. This one's playing, wants to use CDJs, and wants to use the ones with the USB sticks and won't actually use the CDs. This person has a controller. This person's using Ableton and a launch pad. So it's like, there's, it, it gets, it gets to be like a pain, especially when you're setting up shows and you're trying to figure who needs what, because like, sometimes people are like, oh, I got my DJ, and this person's like, I got my DJ, and they each have like, a setup that requires an eight foot wide table, so... You know, sometimes stage space at a premium and you run into that. Okay. But, uh, you know, the thing though with vinyl and things like that is it's, you usually know what's going to work. Like, and I still, like a lot of times, I leave my house with usually a crate of vinyl with me, even when I'm going all digital, because sometimes something stupid happens and like, you know, like your battery, like your batteries goes on your computer because you forgot to plug it in or, you know, uh, you know, normally you have it plugged into the wall and that's a smart thing to do. But sometimes when you're in a hurry between gigs, you know, uh, you know, sometimes like you have a problem with, you know, sometimes the program might freeze up and you got to restart your computer and you need to play something while that. So the crowd doesn't, you know, and that, the, the, that's the best standby is having some vinyl there because like, as long as, that turntable plugs into the mixer and the needle's intact, like, you're, you're gonna get something, so, you know, you're not sitting there pulling p cables and plugs out and being like, why is the right channel up? Is it the, you know, the right RCA plugged into the back of mixers? Is it the RCA coming out of the turntable going into the back of the box? Is it the one, you know, it's like, it becomes more complicated when something does go wrong, you know? Mm. Uh, I feel you. Well, let me ask you this. What are you doing? What does DJ Blacklisted do? You know, okay, because you know we mentioned the sampler and all this. Yeah, stuff. So, yeah. Uh, so what you building? Um, you building a mega super group? Yeah. Well, I mean, we got the my label? my group uh, Fortify Phonetics. That's that's pretty much my main focus most of the time. Uh, that's with uh, Moma Nate on and Connect Rhymes, and uh, we've been doing that about four years. So we're starting to work on the new album. Uh, we've we released an album at the end of 2012 called The Plastic Eaters, and you know we've been performing on that album. We've had other new material, but we've decided like right now we're just gonna like take the winter, not really play out as much as far as a group, and you know kind of regroup, build a whole new uh, archive of music, and make a new new album. Um, aside from that, I have my uh, my Friday night residency every night at. Um, Eclipse. So I do that every night. I run that night. I'm kind of helping them with other bookings and things. Um, I'm also in 412 Drum and Bass. So we're starting to do a Saturday down there. So I spin drum and bass music as well. And um, I'm in Grindhard DJs as well. That's, uh, you know, Chevy and Black Steel and, you know, uh, Finesse and all those guys and, you know, building with them. And on top of all that, there's the label which is uh it doesn't function quite like a uh a traditional label and I, i've noticed that's kind of what people don't quite understand about how we work and what we do and because a lot of people are coming at me like you know ask me like well what how do we get on and like what what do you guys have to offer and the whole thing about the label is like we're like mainly a collective of like different artists that have just like united to have this singular goal and you know it's not like people were working under these like crazy contracts and making a ton of money and stuff like basically right now we are working to distribute ourselves and our music and work together and share skills uh know-how knowledge and contacts so you know it was it was mainly started by my group Five phonetics and proceed working together because we were both about to have our albums done at the same time and the rest of it just kind of formed up organically by people we were working with at shows. And, you know, everyone had different skill sets to offer, too. Like, I mean, I'm I'm a DJ and producer in the group, but I'm also a uh, graphic designer. So I do a lot of the graphic design. Uh, Joey Smooth built the website. He's also a graphic designer. He's a producer and an MC. Um, connects an MC and a producer. So almost like everybody in the crew, like the majority of them are producers and do two or other three things so it's kind of like a 
like you almost like you were saying like a super group of people it's like just a very potent collection of people that have a lot of skills you know so even and then we even picked up people that we were working with that are just associated with other people we know like we have late bloomer who's based out of uh trenton new jersey no he's in border town or border town one of those places yeah he's out in new jersey but uh yeah like he's out there as a producer and uh you know he also mcs with us as well he did he just did that circular signals album with moma and adon so um and then as far as just my personal stuff like it's been a long time coming but i've been working on like a solo album for like a couple years it was kind of derailed because i had a bunch of stuff on here and the i didn't have this machine for almost a year before i got it fixed so i had like probably like a year and a half worth of like material just locked on there that i couldn't access so but but the solo project is almost going to be like a uh it's gonna be a continuous near instrumental album like it's basically it's going to be woven together some of it might be through regular dj means some of it might just be through production mm-hmm. but it's almost going to be like a uh a post-apocalyptic story okay and post-apocalyptic one yeah. yeah so kind of a you know a concept album but i'm going to tell a lot of it through just like samples and uh things like that and then i'm going to specifically pick specific uh topics and have different mcs that might like feel so strongly about like a certain issue Mm -hmm. and have them do like verses or do a track on it over top of like my beats and i want something that they actually feel like really passionately about too so like because i want it to be a very like i want the album to be like a statement most definitely most definitely look do me a favor tell everybody where they can uh find you Okay. You know, all that social media bullshit. Yes. Uh, you can find me. I'm on, uh, you can go to the Surface Level Records website, which is www.surfacelevelrecords.com. Uh, my profile's up on there. Um, you can look me up on Facebook if you just look under uh, Blacklisted, DJ Blacklisted. I should come up under there. Um, you can run Fortified Phonetics and, you know, spell Google. Fortified Phonetics. Yeah, this is kind of a pain in the butt. Um, it is fortified, how you normally spell fortified, F-O-R-T-I-F-I-E-D, and then phonetics is spelled P-H-O-N-E-T-X. Why can't you rap dudes just spell regular? Because that's, that's, that's no fun. X, Y's, and you know, and all these vowels. You're going to make it difficult. You know? Okay, of course. It's just so people are like in the know. You could be like, no, I know he wasn't in the know because he didn't even say it right. You know, so you know when someone's like just blowing smoke up your ass because they'll they'll misspell your name or say it wrong. Uh, you don't know how many times people said Fortified Phoenix on stage and we're like, oh. Maybe you should change your name, Fortified Phoenix. No, no, no. See, that's how you know they're not in the know. See, you get, it's like an instant litmus test for uh, perpetrators, you know. I was an English major. Even I get like, what? What? What the fuck is this? You know. Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am, I don't really use it a whole lot, but it's, uh, this, I spell black, this is B-L-4-C-K-L-1-5-T-3-D, so, you're like, there you go with that weird spelling again. There you go with that spelling again, y'all in this hieroglyphic shit. Yep, yep, yep. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, but look, man, you know, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show. No problem, man, anytime. I'm DJ Blacklisted, and this is Real Rap. Excellent. Peace to DJ Blacklisted. Peace, peace. This is another interesting, entertaining episode of Real Rap. Everything's in this podcast lecture series is that of DJ Blacklisted and Dan Status. What? Now you heard how you gotta find them on the internet. That's Fortified Phonetics, spelled however the, they want to spell it. Okay. Yeah. Spell. This song is called We Live On. We Live On. We Live On. This goes hard. Put your hands Yeah. This goes hard. You know, I used to rap. But anyway, thank you for the listeners. Each and every week you tune in. And check out the YouTube version of this show. You get to see me on camera.
Fly. I roll my rhymes on the fly, fly snatched by the bat. The bat dropped shit on the land and made a plan. The leaf crack, words hatch, raps intact. The first draft free verse sealed backpack. Delivered with intentions of generating new legends over an extension that would take miles to measure. A favorite in the pocket like some dead presidentials. How we outlast time like the lines on the stencil from a pencil made of moldavite. Glows when I hold it right in a pyramid, writing raps under solar lights. I don't even hold the mic. It floats in front of my face, challenging me to a fight. I put it in its place every time, like a baseline. Beneath a drum break from a crate left behind. Lost over time, its presence was neglected. I put it in a session and the soul was resurrected. Never had a hold on time, and we don't control the essence. Though we can leave a message on this beat before they dead us. So let us paint our pictures and write our poems inside our homes. Take them outside, let them shine like a diamond glows. Take a photo with your mind, memorize, recite lines, and we can keep the shit alive. My Alliance fortified, eternal rap lead. Wrote these rhymes on a scroll, threw them in the Dead Sea. Writers don't die, we live on. The eye in the pyramid, take many forms. Symbols, songs, poems, and thoughts. Translated into tangible works of art. Many lessons to learn from the deceased. Despite how many books are burned, we still preach. Those who seek wisdom over beats, hit them with that one time infinity breach. Writers never die, heard the phrase on the headshots. I write every line to get it out before I get got. Food for the brain, cool and fresh in my wet box. Similes and metaphors, I pour it like it's tug of war. Settle up the score with installments of verses. Such a cheap price to pay for a touch of eternity. Someday, fam, this life is gonna murder me. Now, sense the urgency to get it flirted, so they hurt me. Purposely, cause I don't do much without a plan. See, clean hands get dirty, and I'm not getting nervous. If I start to bite, nails are gonna taste a little earthy. I got rhymes for Deep in some time capsules Looking out for the future Cause I know that I have to Looking up for the youth Seeking truth for rap dudes Soon We'll be a thing of the past Technological grip I'll let that hip hop last Put peace of mind On single files Like a desk job Get inspired Write more while looking for the next one Cause every birth and art Is a brand new fresh start Press pause Play it back Work the flaws Spit that rhyme for days Get endurance on that jaw If you ain't got beats Then write a poem with the cause And affect someone Who undivides their attention Relieve intention Hoping for return on your investments Writers don't die No, we live on Writers don't die Riders don't die, no, we live on. 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 Riders don't die, no, we live on.